0: Even if the Adventists, the liberal Adventists, the progressive Adventists, whatever they want to call themselves, say, I don't have to believe Ellen White to believe the 28. They're self-deceived.
1: Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism.
0: Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. If you've been following along with us over the last several months, you know we've made our way through the official book of the 28 Fundamental Beliefs of Seventh-day Adventism, and we've been comparing each of their doctrines with the teachings of Scripture. Last week, we completed our final chapter. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we just want to spend a little time talking about what this series really made clear to us that we hadn't been able to articulate before. Yeah. Now, we also want to remember together our experiences in those early days of leaving Adventism, of feeling disoriented and uncertain about the future. Our hope is that we can encourage you who are just beginning this journey out of Adventism and into truth. We'll also be introducing our next series at the end of this episode, so hang in there with us. And if you haven't listened to our Fundamental Belief series, we encourage you to go and begin at episode 99 and work your way through from there. You can listen out of order, but we don't recommend it. What was so clear going through the book, start to finish, is that it was written to methodically lead its readers down a very specific path into the heart of its deception. And this is easier to see if you begin the series at the beginning and then just listen in order. Now, before we get started, let me remind you that we love hearing from you. You can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. It is such an encouragement to know how many people are being led out of Adventism and into truth right now. The stories we've received from you have blessed us more than we can say. We know and we want our listeners to know that there are many new former Adventists who are seeking truth, and we pray for you all and we're thankful for your prayers for us. Don't forget to visit proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for weekly emails and to view past and current online articles, podcast transcripts, and links to our YouTube channel. If you'd like to come alongside us with your tax-deductible financial support, there's a Donate tab there as well. And if you're already donating, we want to thank you, and we want you to know that the truth is spreading far and wide. We thank God for you, and we thank you for your participation in all we do here at LAM. Also, you can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is growing rapidly, and we're grateful to all of you who've shared its content and who've written reviews. We pray for you and yours as you seek to help others find truth. Now, Colleen. Yes, Nikki. <laughs> let's just jump in. Okay. I want to know what was most surprising to you as you made your way through this book and prepared for these podcasts. What what was kind of new to you? That's an interesting question because
1: it was subtle and it was slow growing for me to even see what it was. None of the doctrines was new. What was new? was seeing how they constructed the book. Now, Mm -hmm. as I've said before, I've used this book, even in its previous version, its previous edition, before they had 28 Fundamental Beliefs and just had 27, I've used the book for references for a long time. Mm -hmm. I have never sat and read it from beginning of chapter to end of chapter, starting the next chapter, going to the end of the chapter. I have never studied the book before. And studying the book like we did showed me exactly what you said in your intro. It is methodically designed to lead a person down the garden path. Those doctrines are stuck in there in a specific order on purpose. Mm -hmm. And that became extremely clear to me. Another thing that was really interesting to me was that in some of the particularly Adventist cultic doctrines, they didn't use Ellen White in the footnotes, or at least very little One thing that was very interesting to me was, for example, the fundamental belief on the Great Controversy. There was not one Ellen White footnote for that. That was crazy. And that whole thing is from her. She (laughs) had a vision that interrupted a funeral, and it lasted hours, and that vision is what established the Great Controversy worldview for the Seventh-day Adventist organization. Not one Ellen White footnote in that chapter. And no,
0: because their hard sell is everything's from scripture. None of this is just ours. And in some of the other doctrines that they have more scriptural quasi support for,
1: they will include Ellen White in the footnotes. Mm-hmm. But not those most cultic ones. That's not where they primarily get their source. It's all designed to deceive. Mm-hmm. It was so clear to me. And you know the other thing? I didn't understand this until we finished the book. When I listened to the final edited version of our next to the last one on the millennium and listened to what we said about it, listened to what the book said, and I realized that this was the first time I had understood how clearly these doctrines are organized so that the presence of Satan at the heart of Adventist soteriology is gradually disclosed until it's an unavoidable open fact at the Mm -hmm. end of the book. The true nature of the demonic source of this religion is there,
0: Mm -hmm. but it's it's subtle, it's gradual, and you don't realize it if you're just glancing through the book. Well, and don't you think that's one of the reasons it, it was important for us to begin at the story of origins? Because they don't. No, they don't. In this book, they don't begin with the premise that Satan accused God of being unfair. No. And that that was the heart of this war in heaven and eternity past and what began this whole controversy. They really don't deal with that. And so, being able to see that he was the beginning and then... To see how they deceitfully tuck him in and then really present him at the end. Yes. It was really frustrating. Yes, it was. And it's really
1: interesting to me that I have been out of Adventism mm, maybe 23 years, and I have never seen so clearly how deviously, deliberately, and carefully these beliefs are constructed and put together as a document. Mm-hmm. For the deception of the outsiders looking in and also for the instruction of the insiders. It was just fascinating to me and really upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> what about
0: you, Nikki? What what's your takeaway after doing this book? Well, it's very similar. Um, I, I feel like the book was multitasking. Like you said, it had a purpose to deceive Christians. It had a purpose to lure in new Adventists and then to instruct those who are already inside. And I think one of the things that was most surprising to me was how clearly I could see their method of leading people down the garden path, and that might be because you start in the first chapter as a former Adventist who's been part of this ministry for a few years. Mm -hmm. You have the story in your head already, and you begin at the beginning, and you see how long it takes them to really come out with it. Yes. And so you see their process of being very careful and just sort of unraveling this cultic worldview. It was interesting to me that what would later become a crucial interpretation in the building of Adventism would often be introduced merely as an acceptable alternative interpretation. It was just kind of like suggestive at first, and then it would morph into an unspoken assumption that supports the next idea. And ultimately, it became a non-negotiable load-bearing feature in the system of Adventism. And so you get to the end of the book, and it's almost like a Jenga tower Where if you pull out one, the whole thing falls. Absolutely, The system rises and falls together. And it's so deceptive in the way that they present things as just, this is one way to see it. This is how we see it. And by the time you get to the end, if you give up that seemingly negotiable interpretation, you're now among the apostates. Exactly. So if you don't want to be among the apostates, you really can't question even one of those doctrines and what's interesting to me is that the authors understand that the 28 fundamental beliefs rise and fall together, even if the lay people don't. Yes. Yes. Even if the Adventists, the the liberal Adventists, the progressive Adventists, whatever they want to call themselves say, I don't have to believe Ellen White to believe the 28. They're self-deceived. That hit me too, Nikki. This is a unit. This is
1: an inseparable unit. You can't pick and choose in spite of what Adventists like to say. And have you ever asked yourself how so many Adventists can say, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, I don't read Ellen. I don't believe that. That's not my Adventism. But they don't leave. There's a reason they don't leave. The reason
0: is their worldview is Adventist. And I also think that, okay, so I did read the twenty. I believe it was the 27 when I did it, the 27 Fundamental Beliefs in college, chapter by chapter. It was for a class. When you're busy in college and you have this side religion class that you really are only taking because they're making you, you just sort of spit back what they want to hear. I didn't really focus on the chapters as I went through, and I didn't have a Christian worldview to know what was right and what was wrong. So Mm -hmm. things just didn't jump out at me. There were things that stuck that I wasn't even aware of those were the false teachings about what other Christians believed. It was all the straw man arguments. If yeah. I if I had a nickel for every little straw man stick figure I drew in my book as we moved through these chapters, <laughs> I'd be rich. They're everywhere yeah. in the book. And those actually did stick more than anything else. One of the things that um, you said to me before we recorded
1: was that going through this book made you think again of the The movie, the old movie, Mm -hmm. The Truman Show. Yeah. Do you want to explain that perspective and then tell me what things in Adventism reminded you of The Truman Show? What were some of those stage
0: lights that fell through the ceiling and you had no idea where they came from? Okay. So if you haven't seen The Truman Show, it's a movie about a man who lives on a TV set, essentially. He doesn't know it. He thinks it's the real world, but everybody else there knows that this is the Truman Show and that there are actors in his life, and there are cameras everywhere watching him. And you watch him come to the realization that he's trapped inside this movie set. Yeah. And some of the things that begin to happen are like prop fails. (laughs) And there's this one scene where a light, a stage light falls from the sky and crashes to the ground in front of him. When I was leaving Adventism, it really did feel like somebody was pulling a stage set apart and that they were just taking props out of my life that I thought were real. One of those for me, I think, was a moment when I've shared this before on the podcast. When I was walking with my mother in law and I was in my early 20s and I was eager to really own what I had been raised to believe and I wanted to study scripture. And I asked her, where's that part in scripture that talks about the war in heaven? Mm -hmm. And she, just to give you a little context, she was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor's wife and um, a devout reader of Ellen White. But at that time, she'd had a lot of questions that were coming up for her. And she just very quietly and quickly said, it's not there. Wow. I was shocked. I mean, if anyone in my life had the authority to tell me what was in the Bible, I felt like she knew, (laughs) and she said it wasn't there, and I didn't really know what to do with that. I don't think we talked any further about it. We just kept walking. That started all the questions, like, why do we believe that if it's not in the Bible? So that's only from Ellen? Well, how do we know it's biblical? And it sort of started to unravel. After that, she gave us the book, Truth Led Me Out. And I began reading that during my second pregnancy. That was Dale Ratzlaff's autobiography. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was excellent. And um, at that point in my life, I had been through some... Uh, life circumstances that helped me understand the nature of deception. And as he began to tell the truth and to tell the story of confronting people about the errors of Adventism and what they would say to him, it was creating patterns that I saw in my own life with people who I knew who had been dishonest. And he was naming names, and I knew... He was telling the truth because liars, do not they don't give you a string of witnesses so right. you can check on them. They don't want to get caught lying. Dale was being honest.
1: Yeah. That was yeah. very perceptive of you to figure that
0: out. And I started to get very sick. It was very upsetting to me. And so I had to put the book down. And after I had Abby, I did return to the book. And then later, really, it was Galatians. It was reading the book of Galatians that not only opened my eyes to the fact that we were getting it wrong Mm -hmm. in Adventism, I knew they had lied to us. Yeah. Such a
1: shocking thing to discover.
0: So what was your Truman light? My Truman light? Well, you know,
1: I was thinking about that and I actually grew up with a stage light in the middle of my life that I didn't understand was a stage light. But that was the fact that my mother and my father too, I think, were not convinced the investigative judgment was true Mm -hmm. because that would mean that God didn't know his own without an investigation. Jesus had to go back and start with Adam and work through the history of mankind to figure out who was really his. Mm -hmm. And that never made sense to my parents. But that didn't stop our family from feeling like we were fully Adventist. It was the most true religion on earth. Mm -hmm. And Ellen White was probably a prophet. I walked around that. It was almost like an old artifact. Like, oh, look what we have in our yard, this old artifact. And who knew Mm -hmm. if it was authentic or not, but... I walked around it and made my Adventism work around that artifact. But then later, it was realizing, and I've said this before, that the New Testament, in my 30s, I figured this out that the New Testament talked about the law would be written on the heart of believers and that it would no longer be every man would teach his neighbor to know the Lord, but they will all know me. That's a quote from the Old Testament. And Hebrews quotes that. And I thought, I know Christians who do love the Lord and keep nine of the Ten Commandments, they don't seem to come up with the seventh-day Sabbath without being taught it. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge stage light. I didn't know what to do with that. And then closer to the time that we were coming out, um, one of the big ones was doing our Bible studies every week with our neighbors, (laughs) Mel and Monica, reading through books of the New Testament, one chapter at a time, contextually, something we had never done, and discussing them with Mel and Monica, and both Richard and I thought we had left Ellen White behind. We were all that. We were progressive evangelical Adventists. In fact, we might even make them Adventists. (laughs) And as we talked about what we were reading, Mel would go, where's that in the Bible? Good for him. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. And I remember the day very clearly when I looked at Richard and said, you suppose we ought to tell him he goes, we probably have to. And we looked at Melamonica and said, Adventism has a prophet. And they were shocked. <laughs> but anyway, it went from there. And then another one, of course, was Dale Ratzleff sending us his two books, Sabbath in Crisis, which predated Sabbath in Christ, and the cultic doctrine of Seventh-day Adventism. And I think that is when those stage lights finally got our attention and we began to realize we were living in a set. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the real world. Mm -hmm. So, between the cultic doctrine where I really realized Ellen White accused God of lying and hiding the truth from William Miller so people would get ready when there was that first false prophecy, between that and realizing that the new covenant was really new and that Jesus fulfilled the old, That undid everything.
0: So that's really interesting because you didn't have the ministry that so many of us have to to help you with that. So I I think I would say that all of those other things were like stage lights that dropped for me, but really when the props started being taken down off the stage was at that FAF conference, and it was a fast track. I often marvel at how you and Richard (laughs) blazed this trail and pulled all of these props apart in such a unique way, and then reached back for all of us and helped us. And I, I think about this podcast, and I think about the people we've been hearing from, mm-hmm. and if they have walked with us through this book, The 28 Fundamentals, there are a lot of props that have been pulled off the stage, and I can't help but think about how disorienting that Absolutely. felt. Like, the props are gone, they're clearly wrong, yeah. but now the stage is empty. Now, what? Now, what? It's very disorienting. And then figuring out how to navigate, how to go home, then back to my Adventist world that I was, that was all I had. So, what was that disorientation like for you? It
1: was severe. It really was severe. And I have to say, in looking back, there were a couple of things that stand out in my mind. One of the things I had to really come to terms with was the validity of scripture. Now, I had always believed the Bible was God's word, but I remember hearing and reading the arguments about the time we were coming out that why should we be worried about Ellen plagiarizing when clearly the New Testament writers were quoting from the Old Testament without giving credit to the authors, and I didn't know how to answer that. And I remember that we called Dale Ratzlaff one evening and we felt we could call Dale Ratzlaff because he was family. He was Richard's mother's first cousin. And so, Richard had known Dale all his life. I called Dale one night and I said, how do you answer that? And I'll never forget Dale's response to me. He didn't even count to two. (laughs) He just listened to me and said, well, the Bible writers were inspired by God. He told them what to quote. And and it took a big load off my shoulders, but I know that that might sound like circular reasoning to somebody who hasn't really come to trust scripture. But what I realize now, those New Testament writers, with the exception of Luke, who was a Gentile, were Jewish men who had learned the Old Testament and had learned the prophecies and had had to do their bar mitzvahs and had, had to memorize <laughs> a lot of scripture. They knew the prophecies. It wasn't as if they were looking for books to validate what they were saying or to give them something to say. God was helping them know how to say, here's the prophecy, here's Jesus. And as the prophecy said, here's what Jesus did. And they were selected by the Lord Jesus to write the story of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies.
0: And that example right there is exactly why we had to go through this book. Your question to Dale was planted in your mind beginning with fundamental belief number one. Yes. The way that they describe the Holy Scriptures set you up to have that question. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I did not understand what it meant that the writers were inspired by God. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that more as we go on from here. Okay. What about you, Nikki? What was, what was the disorientation like for you?
0: Well, after that conference, I knew absolutely that Adventism was wrong and that we needed to follow the Lord. What I didn't know was how to communicate that into my life, how to share that with people in my family. Yeah. Um, how to walk away from the local congregation we were a part of mm-hmm. at the time we were elders. We were told by uh, one of the women that we met at the conference that you just take baby steps. You don't try to figure it all out at once. You mm-hmm. just, you know, they didn't use these words, but I've since learned the the words that that Elizabeth Elliot often said: "Just do the next right thing." And so we just did baby steps. Um, but I remember every time I would interact in Adventist circles, which were primarily my family because we never did go back to that congregation, it was confusing because yes. everything about the world as I had known it and understood it continued to be true for them. Yes, And so they spoke with assumptions that I used to hold and they lived from that place. And I would go and step into those gatherings and it was like the matrix. Sorry yes. to bring up another movie, <laughs> but I've often thought that too. But it was it was like mm-hmm. you know, laying back down and plugging back in and trying to function in this false reality. Yeah. Knowing full well that it it's not true, it's not real, but it feels more familiar than anything else in my life at the time because Christianity was new. You know, I was a baby. I <laughs> know. Oh, so then coming out of those family gatherings and getting back around Christians, I was stepping out of the matrix and I'm standing in reality and I'm able to look back and go, whoa, it's just too hard to
1: explain. I know. <laughs> you know, I understand that feeling because I remember feeling as if that back and forth thing you're describing mm-hmm. and looking back and talking to people and looking ahead and being with Christians, it was as if I were learning that the color in the sky above me is actually called blue and i had always believed that color was called green mm-hmm. and i had been told that christians call it blue but they don't really know i knew it was green and now finding out that green was a lie <laughs> that color is blue but you know the whole world view is shaped by your green world
0: <laughs> yeah and then you step back into Connection with those people, and oh, look at that beautiful green sky. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you stand there going, "No, it's not green." But if you tell them, they're going to turn on you. Yes. <laughs> it was just so strange. And when I would get back around Christians, the fog would clear. Mm-hmm. And um, that's interesting that it, you say that. It was actually it was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was heartbreaking because there was something between me and these people I loved that I did not have the power to tear apart. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot convict people of God's truth who don't want to hear about it. And so I I think I kind of felt a little bit orphaned and I had to trust scripture. I had to believe the words when it said, I am adopted. I have a new father. I have a new family. Not discarding or tossing the lineage that God gave me, but he gave me a new family and a new identity. And so I really had to own that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember the day that
1: Richard and I realized we had to live with integrity. We could no longer pretend to ourselves that we could attend an Adventist Sabbath school, for example, which we were doing. Yeah, we had stopped attending church, but we were still going to the Sabbath School class we taught, and we couldn't think we could change it from the inside. Nikki, that's so common. Yeah, it is. I'll stay because I can make a difference. No, I'm here to say you cannot, because the world view decides Adventism, and s- these are doctrines of demons we've just walked through, mm-hmm. and Satan lurks at the heart, and he's there those demons were shaped by him. You can't change that. You can only acknowledge that you've been in something very twisted and leave. Mm -hmm. Speaking back into it has
0: far more effect from the outside if you're a believer than it does to try to stay and change it. And look at the model that we're given in Scripture. The Lord commanded that we be baptized that we have a public profession of identifying ourselves with him. He didn't say go into the world incognito no, he and didn't. try to change it from the inside. No. He said, gather together, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make public mm-hmm. your identity with me. It's hard to see that they have a different Jesus because they use scripture and you think that they're using it correctly, but they're really not. That's right. And until you understand that, This part gets a little bit murky, but we're called to come out. Yes. I think of what your son thought of. Do not be unequally yoked with
1: unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Our son Roy said in a testimony he gave at one of our former Adventist Fellowship weekends that that text was a text that summarizes his feelings about leaving Adventism. When you know who Jesus is, what the gospel is, and what Adventism says, you realize you are fraternizing with unbelievers at the most intimate level if you attempt to stay and be part of them. Because as long as we stayed inside of Adventism, even if we believed something different in our heads, we were publicly identifying as Adventist. We were publicly endorsing whatever they taught, even though we were trying to tell them on the inside it's something different. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And when we realized how dishonest that is, we realized we couldn't stay and do that or we could never expect our sons to tell us the truth. We would be modeling living a lie. And it makes me think of a, a post I just read this week um, in, a, in a private group on Facebook. It's not a group of former Adventists. It's a group of Christians, and I was invited to join it. And there was an Adventist pastor from another country who had written this. Adventists have around 21 million members across the world, and actually it's more than that now, but this was just written this week. And I have found consistency reflected in the 28 fundamental beliefs of the church. By the way, we believe that Christ's atonement for salvation is finished at the cross and made applicable through his resurrection. That's not true. Mm -mm. And I actually responded and said, You know, I agree with you that those 28 fundamentals are the unifying factor for all Adventists of all stripes. That is Adventism. But it is not true that Adventists believe the atonement was finished at the cross. And I quoted some stuff just from one of the fundamental beliefs, the one on the heavenly sanctuary, and the man never responded. But I want to say this, when you start to come out, You get confused Mm -hmm. because you hear Adventists saying this stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, we believe salvation is by grace through faith, but that's an incomplete statement for an Adventist. And when you understand what it means to be born again, you have to walk away from the lies or you compromise yourself with untruth.
0: And let's just look at the, the power of the witness. God called a people to be separate. He did it in Israel. And he does it in the church in a different way. Yes. We're scattered, but we're called together and to be in the world, not of the world. He calls us to be holy and separate in a different kind of way. And he indwells us. Yes, he indwells us. There's a lot more going on in the new covenant. (laughs) But the point is, is that there was power in Israel's witness among the nations. That's right. They were set apart and distinct. And when we try to go in incognito and we don't align ourselves with the identity that God has given us what are we really representing that's right to these people i think of this man that wrote to you in that facebook page he might actually believe what he wrote yeah That can happen when you have so many different people picking and choosing what they want to believe because they're trying to change it and make it better according to their understanding. No, you have to submit to scripture. That's right. And that is one of the hardest things to do when you're just a a nobody in Adventism. Who was I? I was a 30-year-old mother, a new baby, a toddler, Mm -hmm. and did not have an Adventist ministerial degree in anything. (laughs) And now I'm going to (laughs) leave. Like, leave? right? That's a big deal in Adventism. That's not like going from the Lutheran Church to the Southern Baptist Church. Oh, no. That's a big deal. And I'm going to leave on the basis of doctrine? Who do I think I am? Right. It's a really difficult thing to do. It's very painful. But when you make that move... And you start exposing the lies with the truth of God's word and you live, you live that joy of Christ around people who have these questions. Suddenly the conversations that you're having with Adventists about Adventism become meaningful.
1: Yeah, that's so true.
0: You know, Nikki, one of the things that we've
1: talked about often is that leaving Adventism is like a death
0: mm-hmm.
1: or a divorce. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was going through a divorce when I left Adventism. I felt I was losing everything that I knew to be me. Yeah, I felt I was more Adventist than I was American, than I was wife, than I was mother, than I was teacher. I was Adventist as my core identity. And to decide, like you said, who was I to think I could walk away from that? And yet, the gospel had become so clear to me. What Jesus had actually done was so real. I remember feeling like if I stayed, I would betray Jesus. Yeah, me too. But it would mean losing everything I knew except thankfully for my husband and sons, yeah, the Lord granted us that amazing gift of coming out together. And I know that doesn't happen to everybody. It's still the most amazing thing that knowing Jesus can supersede keeping what you know to be your identity. And we've talked about the fact that going through this leaving means we pass through all the stages of grief. They come and go out of order, in order, Whatever, but we keep <laughs> passing through them until mm-hmm. we finally come to the point where we know we can stand with our head up because the Lord Jesus is with us and he's the Father has us. But those five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. And I think it's fair to say some people sit in one or more of those stages longer than others. Mm-hmm. When you think about those five stages of the grieving process, Nikki, where would you say you found yourself as you left? Where did you go?
0: I hit all of them. Yeah. I hit all of them. Um, I think bargaining was the shortest one for me because I came out Right before that conference, right, it became hard to see anything but the errors of Adventism and the truth of the gospel. After that weekend, it was so incredible. And by the way, it is on YouTube. It was the 2010 former Adventist conference. So I feel like that was maybe a little shorter. Although I did feel the temptation to think maybe I can actually reach people with what I'm learning. Maybe God's going to send me back in, you know, with the truth. That that didn't last long. <laughs> um, But denial really was, I don't know how long denial took. Because as you study Adventism, it gets darker and darker and darker. And for a little while there at the beginning, you're like, no, it can't be that bad. No, it can't be that bad. Eventually you get to, well, probably because it was all those other things too, you know. (laughs) So that kind of starts to go away, or at least it did for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depression, that was a few years, I would say. And anger, probably the one that I revisit the most often would be anger, and it's it's changed. At first, it was anger over what they did to me. How yeah. could they? For thirty years, I believed a lie. They controlled me with with all of this false doctrine, and they they hid the God of the universe from me with the Bible. How did they do that? Yeah, I was so upset. Um, but that has morphed, and even now, going through this fundamental belief series. I have felt anger, but it's been anger about how they insult my God, how they twist his word, and how they have managed to trap my loved ones and millions of people all over the world, many of whom want to know God. Yes. Yes. You know, the anger
1: for me includes at this point um, also some anger that Adventism has so successfully deceived the Christian community. Oh, yeah. I feel so frustrated by that. Mm -hmm. When I find a Christian who's never been Adventist, who sincerely wants to understand Adventism. I feel like it's a gift from God. It is. And we have some friends like that. I mean, you and I have, we have some shared acquaintances and friends that are very dear to us in that camp. And there's others that we're meeting. God sends them. But I have to say, I am so frustrated by, for example, that quote that I read earlier, by that Adventist pastor who was writing to a group of Christians, trying to make Adventism sound like it's just part of the deal, just a a, a variation of Christianity. And it is so hard for someone who is not steeped in Adventism to understand it.
0: Yeah, I think that's part of what's so upsetting about it is that it works. It
1: does work.
0: But when we talk to these people about what it was like to live
1: in Adventism— that seems to be one of the things that is the most powerful in helping them to understand what Adventists mean. Because people who are dead in sin, but think that they're Christians, when they find out what the gospel is like we did, it's like, oh my goodness, I have passed from darkness to light. I have passed from death to life. And when we talk to Christians about it, they recognize that. Mm -hmm. And they know that whatever all of that good works, good, clean living touting the love of Christ like we always tried to do, and we realized that it wasn't true for us, it was a deception, Christians recognize that difference. So, I think one of the ways that coming out has been redeemed by the Lord for me has been that He's given us the ability to talk about being Adventist And showing how it's different and showing not just how the doctrines are different, but how our lives are different.
0: Yeah. And wouldn't you say that that's not just an opportunity for a specific few? That's what he calls all formers too. Absolutely. I've known people who have said, I don't want to be a former Adventist anymore, I'm just a Christian, and then they come back later, God keeps putting Adventists in my life, asking me (laughs) questions. (laughs) He -hmm. will use what He has prepared you for. It may look different for different people, as it should, but He doesn't waste anything that we've Mm -mm. been through. And when we respond with integrity and when we respond with trust, the opportunity for change as we so want to, you know, create in Adventism actually shows up on our doorstep even when we're not asking for it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like Ephesians
1: 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. And He brings it, whether we
0: want it or not. Yes, look out. <laughs> <laughs> but He equips us for it and gives us a love for what He asks us to do. Yes, He does. You know, and I want to encourage people who are listening and this is all new to them and maybe they're sitting there going, yeah, yeah, the anger, yeah, the depression. There is a good chance that the Adventists around you will use that to discredit your leaving. That's a great point. You're just angry. You're just bitter. You have an ax to grind. We've heard it all. You just want to eat ham sandwiches. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I hope you enjoy your freedom. Yeah. Or we'll see how it pans out in the end. I mean, there are many that we have heard. Oh, yeah. But those kind of comments and your grief do not invalidate what you're going through. That's right. You have been religiously abused. This was spiritual abuse. Absolutely was. And actually, if you think about an abusive home, for example, when dad is hitting the children and mom says oh, I need to stay and and try to stop him and try to change it. That's not nearly as effectual as if she takes those kids and leaves. That's a great
1: comparison, Nikki. We were spiritually abused and we learned to interact with the world from a false view of what it meant to serve God. When we understand that Jesus finished everything necessary for our salvation and that what's required of us is to believe, as Paul says in Romans 10:9 that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead we will be saved when we believe that we have to confront in our own lives the falsehood that we were taught the false righteousness the false piety of keeping the sabbath as a sign that we love God, we have to confront all of those things that were not the true gospel. And you know, speaking of that, back to that 2 Corinthians text I read earlier about touching not the unclean thing. When we realize, and I speak from experience, and I know we've talked about this before, Nikki, I know it's not just my experience, it's all of us who leave Adventism for Jesus. When we realize that the Sabbath was called the seal of God, and the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the seal of God, when we realize that the Sabbath is taught to us as the mark that separates the saved from the unsaved when Jesus comes back, we realize we have been taught an idol. Mm -hmm. Adventists hate that idea. I hated that idea as an Adventist. I would have denied I thought the Sabbath was an idol. And yet, As an Adventist, I really believed that keeping the Sabbath was the way I showed my love for God and demonstrated who God was to the world. That is an
0: idol. You know, it's interesting. After God gave the law to Israel and he talked about the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience, he described what their life would look like as they lived in idolatry. He said to them, so your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you will be in dread night and day and shall have no assurance of your life. Now, I'm just pulling out one text out of, out of an entire chapter. So if you want to read the context, this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But when I read verse 66, I thought, oh my, that's how I felt in Adventism. My life hung in doubt before me. I had dread day and night. I didn't know where I stood before God. I had no assurance of my life when I was stuck in what I didn't understand to be idolatry. And Paul makes it very clear in Galatians that if you go back even to God's words in the law, if you go back to that old covenant and you try to work for salvation, you're in idolatry.
1: Absolutely. That's in Galatians 4. So, Nikki, as you began to see what the gospel was, when you were born again and you left that paradigm that your new Christian brothers and sisters didn't understand and moved into the Christian community, how did you begin to ground and get your feet on the ground? That
0: was a slow process because when you make it to 30 or however old, a person is leaving Adventism, I was multi-generational, so it was all of my relatives. When you get to that point in your life and realize that everything you've believed is a lie, you wonder how you're supposed to trust anything. Yeah. How do you move forward? And I remember talking to my husband actually right before that conference I went to And I asked him, how do we know? How do we know that we're doing the right thing? We've been told our whole life that if we walk away from Ellen, then we're going to fall into apostasy. We're going to give up the Sabbath and that's it. Yeah. How do we know what's true? And he said, Adventists say that everything Ellen White teaches agrees with scripture, that the Bible can be trusted. So we put her down and we only read the Bible. And if, if the Bible leads us back to Ellen, then we'll come back. But if it doesn't, then we've done the right thing. And I said, how do we know we can trust this ministry? Because we had been introduced, we had met you guys, I believe that Sunday, uh-huh. we'd come here for the first time. How do we know we can trust them? And he said, you know, sometimes uh, when ships are coming in on, in dangerous coves, mm-hmm. they'll put up two lighthouses to guide the ship in rather than just one, because they just need that extra help. <laughs> right. Maybe they're our second lighthouse. This is really hard what we're doing. Maybe maybe they're here to help us. I don't know. We just trust the Bible and we trust God. And so we went to the FAF conference, and <laughs> the theme of the weekend had lighthouses everywhere. <laughs> it was on all of the backdrops and all of the tables had lighthouses, and we just thought that was so funny. Haha, <laughs> they're using lighthouses. At the end of that weekend, When all those props came down and we had heard the gospel, Carl stayed behind to help clean up after the event. And he was standing there next to Richard and they were clearing off the table and Richard grabbed the lighthouse in the middle of the table and he just kind of moved his arm around, almost uncertain of where to put the lighthouse. And he turned and he looked Carl in the eye and he handed him the lighthouse. And Carl took it and it was this moment of just... I know it sounds wow. weird, but it was this moment, like kind of like when Jesus told Nathaniel, when you were under the fig tree, <laughs> I saw you. It was like, the Lord knows yeah. what we're thinking right now. He's leading. And we've just heard this whole weekend where nothing but scripture was proclaimed. And we knew after that, let's stay put. Mm -hmm. And let's trust God with the people he's putting in our life. And then slowly over time, God, of course, continued to put people in our life. And some of them were really untrustworthy people, Mm -hmm. but we trusted God in the middle of that. And we trusted Him to teach us what we needed to know and to grow us and to teach us how to obey the commands of Scripture that tell you what to do in those situations. And He began to show us that we could trust the Word. Mm -hmm. And that was how we took those baby steps moving forward into truth. And as you spend that time in Scripture, both on Sunday Mm -hmm. under a good teacher, but also at home during the week you start to recognize people who are reading the Bible too. It's true. And you know when it's being taught in context. Yeah. That was really kind of how I started to ground and, and come to truth. What about you? It wasn't the same because we didn't have a
1: ministry like this, but mm-hmm. it was the persistent learning to trust scripture. And I remember when the Lord led us to the first Christian church where we became members and we started sitting under the teaching of Gary Enrig, Mm -hmm. who I still think is one of God's great expositors to the church in this age. Mm -hmm. He is a great Bible teacher and I didn't have any idea how much learning to trust scripture and to read it contextually would impact my life and how much it would shape Life Assurance Ministries. This was the Lord's doing. He taught us to trust him through his word by listening to consistent Bible teaching. Along the way, I realized we were losing everything we knew. Richard was fired from Loma Linda in 2006, about seven years after we left, for his work with Life Assurance Ministries and former Adventist Fellowship. He lost his job. We lost our colleagues. We lost friends. We lost family. It felt like we were losing ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I have taken so much comfort from what Jesus said. And you can find it in Mark 3, 31 to 35. It's that story of when his mother and his brothers came to see him when he was teaching. And it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That still makes me cry, because God gives us a new family when we're in him. He adopts us as his own children Romans 8, 14 to 17, His Spirit teaches us to call Him Father. He makes us joint heirs with Christ. And those He puts in our lives that are born again, there's messes just like there are in any family. But when the basis is truth, when the basis is the Lord Jesus, there's a love and a unity that comes not from our decision to like them, but from the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us and teaches us to trust God in those difficulties, that makes this family of God so much more profound than just blood. And is such a great thing when the Lord brings our blood family to be brothers and sisters in Him as well. And that doesn't always happen, but Jesus redeems what we lose. His word can't fail. That promise
0: is true. And you know, I, I think it's important to to let people know it was hammered in us that we were responsible to save souls. And not all of us do have blood family who come when we come, no, or even years after we've come. <laughs> but it doesn't mean they won't. And we don't have to feel like we're responsible to get them saved. Because just like it was a work of God to save us, it will be a work of God to save them. And so we continue to pray for a family, not losing hope, but trusting God even with those losses. That's very true. And we know that even when we're losing
1: the physical things around us, even like jobs, we know that God knows we need them. And another passage of scripture that has carried me through leaving Adventism and is still carrying me is found in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And I won't read the whole thing, but you'll recognize it. It's where Jesus was... Telling the people on the mountain with him that God knows what we need. If He provides for the birds, for even the lilies and the grass, which is here for a day or a season and gone the next, He knows what we need to eat, drink, wear. He says it's the Gentiles who worry about those things, in the context of Gentiles meaning unbelievers. But He said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added to you your heavenly father knows that you need them and as an adventist i 'd hear that and it would just sound like yeah 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 whatever I know but I ca- I have to plan I have to know what the future's you know i 'd had to make sure my my ducks were in a row and i 'm learning that God knows what I need and he does provide and i can 't always explain how but he does so when you 're facing that cliff of I know I can't stay Adventist. You can know this. You have a new father. You have the triune God securing your eternal salvation and your temporal life here. You will have what you need. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. We suffer. We do have those moments of suffering, but we have the Lord Jesus. Nothing that
0: comes into our lives is wasted, and he redeems everything we submit to him. So, if you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly emails and view current and past online articles. And you can also donate there as well. Like or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And join us next week as we begin our new series, How to Live. We know that this last series has deconstructed a lot of the Adventist worldview, and we're not going to leave you there. Right. <laughs> we're going to spend time talking about some of the ways that we can learn to walk as Christians who are living in the Spirit. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. So we're going to spend some weeks talking about what that looks like after Adventism. And we'll see you then.